Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Heredity Podcast with me, Dr. James Bergen. Glacial cycles have played an important role in shaping the distributions of terrestrial species, but the impact of glacial cycles on the evolution and genetic structure of marine species is less clear. Fortunately, increasing numbers of studies are helping us to fill this gap in our knowledge, and today's paper is one of them. So, let's meet the lead author behind the recent heredity paper, Mitochondrial Genomes Reveal Mid-Pleistocene Population Divergence and Post-Glacial Expansion in Australasian Snapper. So, can you please just introduce yourself? Yeah, so uh, my name is uh, Tom Oesting. I'm originally from the Netherlands, but I've been living in New Zealand since 2017 to do my PhD. And I'm currently working as a postdoc uh, here at the University of Victoria in uh, Wellington. Well, uh, it's wonderful to have you here on the podcast. And I guess the first thing is that your paper focuses on the Australasian snapper. What are they and why are they interesting? So uh, Australasian snapper is one of New Zealand's main fishery species. I think it's actually the largest by volume and mass. It's primarily caught around the, the North Island of New Zealand. They are broadcast spawners, uh, meaning that they release like tons of eggs into the water column where they get uh, fertilized. And then up to about one year old, they will live in these shallow estuaries where they, uh, where they kind of uh, survive. And then they move out into these shallow coastal estuaries. These are coastal environments uh, when they get up to like 20 to 30 centimeters in size. And the interesting thing about snapper as well is that they are protogenous hermaphrodites, implying that they all get born as immature females. And then as they mature, uh, some are actually morph into males. It also means that they don't have sex chromosomes, which also means that we don't really understand how the sex determination works. Also, from a cultural perspective, uh, snapper are known as um, tamare in te reo, which is the language of the indigenous Maori. Snapper or tamare hold great significant cultural value for Maori as they are a Tonga species, which means that they are sacred, and they are whakapapa, which means that they belong to their genealogy, which links all people, living things, the earth and the sky, everything together. Well, well, I didn't know any of that. It's kind of lovely to hear about the cultural significance of some of the species that we're studying from a very sort of scientific perspective. And I guess you mentioned a minute ago that you've kind of traveled halfway around the planet to study them. So why is this area of research fascinating for you? My research background is in population genetics. So I worked on marine mammals uh, at the University of Groningen, where I've been my undergraduate and my master's. And when I was looking for PhDs, my focus was uh, on trying to find something to do with population genetics or population genomics. And as a teenager, I traveled around New Zealand after finishing high school. And all of a sudden, this email popped up saying that there was this opportunity to do a PhD on fishery species in New Zealand and thinking I wouldn't have a chance to actually get signed up. And a month later, I was on a plane to New Zealand. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um it's clearly a really interesting area of research, and it's a really cool journey that kind of brought you into this project. Um, so I'm wondering what your specific aims in the study were. What was it that you actually set out to investigate in this paper? 
so the initial uh, setup of this project was not specifically focused on what the paper was about. So the project that we wrote the grant for was to test for a theory called fishing-induced evolution. So this theory predicts that as, uh, as there's intense fishing effort, fish actually tend to reduce in size and mature a bit quicker because of the intense fishing effort. Uh, it's better to mature quicker because if you get fish out of the water column quicker, it's better to reproduce faster. And also fisheries tend to target the, the larger individuals. So the smaller you are, uh, the chance of you getting caught are smaller. So that was the big setup. And the way that we were going to test for that was to get ancient samples from these uh, snapper bones that were dug up from Maori Midden, so the indigenous people of New Zealand, and compare the genetic variation that we found in these ancient populations and then compare it to the modern ones. Uh, of course, having a big data set like that also provides us with an opportunity to answer a myriad of different research questions, like the studying the population structure of snapper of the contemporary stocks, which may help improve fisheries management, but also study long-term demographic changes, which what we actually addressed in this paper. Hmm. And it's really interesting that you're talking about these ancient DNA samples as well, because obviously in this paper you were combining modern and these historic samples. Um, so I'm really curious about how you went about collecting these samples. Like, where did they come from? How did you get your hands on them? The modern samples that comprise of a contemporary data set were collected by observers from the Ministry of Primary Industries or, uh, or other institutes which have observers on boats. And I sent all these different sampling kits to these organizations with them sent them out to, to these groups and they would collect little thin clips the size of about a thumbnail and put them into a preservation solution and then send them back to me. To collect the, these old bones, we actually went to the National Museum of Te Papa here in Wellington. Uh, and this museum actually uh, maintains a, a large collection of, ar- of archaeological materials of sites around New Zealand. So we were able to go to the museum here and go through these different collections and collect the bones that were actually needed. And the experience was actually really interesting because you get to go into this bits of the museum where, which is generally not accessible by the general public. And you get to walk around and look in these massive collections where all of a sudden you open up a box and you have bones of now extinct indigenous species like the giant moa or the Haas eagle, which is like a, a width of about three meters. And all of a sudden you're holding a skull of this eagle. So it really allows you to see some really interesting stuff that normal people don't really get to see. Yeah, museum collections are incredible. I have done some work in them as well, and it is uh, mind-blowing, some of the collections that they have. And it's always really good to hear about modern genetic researchers being able to access these samples and use them for modern studies. Hmm. And I guess I'm really curious about what you actually then did with these samples. So you had your modern samples, you had the museum samples. What was it that you then did with these? Um, so for the modern samples, they were all brought back to me to the lab where I extracted the DNA and then we sent the DNA off to a sequencing company in Australia, which did whole genome sequencing. So rather than targeting on a specific gene or a specific region of the genome, we did shotgun sequencing where we basically sequenced everything that we had in our tube of DNA. And for the, the ancient samples, we sent the bones to one of my supervisors at Otago University in Dunedin, which is on the South Island of New Zealand, where they have a very specific lab, very sterile lab to extract the DNA because the DNA is very degraded and contaminated. So any modern DNA that might get mixed in with these samples can basically ruin the samples. Uh, so that's where the DNA got extracted. And then we also have another collaborator in Oslo, Norway, which specialize in sequencing of these fragments. So we then sent the DNA to to Oslo, where they attempted to do the same sequencing approach, the whole genome sequencing. 
the problem with the ancient DNA is actually that because it's so degraded and contaminated uh, with bacterial DNA for about hundreds of years, most of the DNA is not actually from Snapper anymore. So out of the, I don't know, about 100 samples that we sequenced, only one sample had about 58% of the DNA that was inside the sample actually belonged to Snapper still. And all the other samples had about maybe 1% or 2%, or I think it went down to 0.003% or something, which made sequencing the entire genomes basically feasibly impossible because you would sequence everything that is inside that tube and then discard more than 99% of what you do, which unfortunately also meant that we actually weren't able to test for the actual thing that we set out to do to test for fishing-induced evolution because we couldn't obtain the genomic data set that was needed to do the direct comparison. But it did allow us to sequence entire mitochondrial genomes so we obtained 26 mitochondrial genomes from the sequencing that we did in Oslo, and we combined that with 350 modern mitochondrial genomes to perform the study. Nice. And I guess the sort of big question in this all is what you then found when you analysed these samples. So what were some of the key results of this study? Yeah, so one of the, the main, uh, one of the most surprising things that we did not expect to find is that we saw that Snapper from uh, New Zealand consisted of two groups that likely separated 650,000 years ago during the mid-Pleistocene. And during this period, glacial cycles uh, resulted in big, big sea level changes of up to 120 meters, creating land bridges and separating bodies of water. And one of the questions then is like, where did this occur? How did these two populations split? So one of the hypotheses that we have that when the sea levels dropped during the glacial cycle, the bream species got separated on either side of the Indo-Pacific barrier, which is now where Indonesia and Malaysia are. Uh, many of other studies have also found similar phylogenetic patterns of different fish species showing the same separation around the same time. So we think this is where two populations actually got separated and then somewhere at some point during time actually merged again. We don't know when they merged, but we are uh, pretty sure that they already merged before arriving to New Zealand because we also find similar patterns in snapper that are occurring around Australia. Mm, yeah, truly really fascinating. And I guess you kind of can't mention things like big climatic shifts with like very important fishery species without thinking of modern day climate change. So what do you think the study might be telling us about uh, the potential impact of climate change on economically important coastal fish species now? Yeah, so I think these results really showed the sensitivity of coastal species to climate change because they tend to inhabit quite narrow habitat ranges on the continental shelf, and especially here in New Zealand where the edge of the continental shelf is quite close. So with any changes in sea level changes, that quite drastically influences their, their available habitat and uh, also moving in a latitudinal motion where as oceans warm, snapper tend to shift their distribution further southward, but we don't know what kind of new biotic or abiotic interactions they will encounter and whether that might impose new selection pressures on a species that is already under stress from climate change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really fascinating. And um, I wonder what you think the sort of big take-home message in this paper is. So obviously, you've been working on this important species, you use these ancient DNA samples, but what do you think is the sort of key thing that people should be thinking about once they read this paper? Uh, I think one of the bigger thoughts here is that the study provided quite new insights into phylogeography of marine fishes and the immense impact that the changes in global climate have on the biodiversity on Earth. It's As humans, it's very hard to wrap our head around about the sort of timescales at which climate change and evolutionary process operate. And here we're able, actually able to detect signatures of evolutionary events that occurred over 
half a million years ago, uh, way before the inception of modern humans even. And the fact that such ancient events are still encoded within the DNA of this species shows us that what we are doing now to the world can actually have very long-lasting effects that might reach over hundreds of thousands of years. Mm, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it is a really interesting paper. It's a really fascinating study. So hopefully people will go and give it a read. And just to finish up, I wonder if you could remind us of what your paper is called and also just tell us about anyone else who helped bring us this work. Yeah, so the the title of our research paper is uh, Mitochondrial Genomes Reveal Mid-Pleistocene Population Divergence and Post-Glacial Expansion in Australasian Snapper. Uh, the work has been completed with the help of uh, Peter Ritchie, Bastian Starr, Nick Rollins, uh, Martin Velarota, who all supervised me throughout my PhD, and also with the help of uh, Alex Vary and Lucky Scarsbrook, who actually did uh, the DNA extractions at Otago University, and uh, also with the help of uh, Lulu Martinez-Garcia and Giada Ferrari, who helped me with the demographic analysis and sequencing of the ancient samples. And of course, also with all the help from all the people that along the way were involved with collecting the samples. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to join us and tell us about the Australasian snapper and your work on them. Um, it's very much appreciated. Thank you very much for having me. You can find the paper discussed today on the Heredity website. That's nature.com forward slash hty. While you're there, you can also check out how to submit your own papers to the journal. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. You can subscribe to the Heredity podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop me an email at hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm James Bergen. Thanks for listening. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.